Bud Elliott back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, Bud recording live this morning on YouTube, February 23rd. Fun day for us over at the Battle's End as we have a website that we have launched that we'll talk about a little bit later in today's show. But as always, I want to thank our friends, Three Simple Ingredients, One Fantastic Product, Louisiana Hot Sauce there with us on day one, or maybe it was year one, day one. Regardless, been with us for a long damn time. Perfect partnership for us and the great people at Tarkin Cellars, a wonderful wine company, wildly successful last 12 months for them as well. TarkinCellars.com, coupon code NOLCAST. Let's do it. Man, yeah. Um, so it's been, a, I don't know, about like a, a week since we, we potted. We, we try to average about, you know, one a week in the off season, about you know, two to three a week during the season. Uh, what what you been up to? Well, I try to actually talk into the microphone. So the first 60 seconds of this podcast may sound like absolute trash, and that's all <laughs> it does. But uh, I've had a couple things going on. I've been distracted, I guess. A little busy day for you. A little busy day, a little busy past two, three weeks. But uh, no, but I appreciate you carrying the uh, you know, carrying the show. I, I was out of town, was fortunate enough to get married a couple weeks ago, went on honeymoon, and uh, jumped right back into this Battles End thing. Got the website uh, launched today. Uh, very excited about that. That's the battlesend.com and public available, public, um, you know, membership availability and public involvement is uh, possible. We've been doing it for 80 days. Uh, this is day 80, and it's been a crazy ass run and a lot of fun. And look forward to uh, whatever support, uh, you know, the Nolcast listenership uh, feels comfortable getting involved in. No doubt, man. Definitely a great cause to support. And uh, I think y'all's impact has been really uh, quite obvious to everybody uh, who is paying attention. And, you know, if you are watching this show at 7 a.m., you are probably uh, distinctly paying attention. Shout out to Brad uh, His in the chat, his newborn's first Nolcast. So uh, that is that is awesome. Uh, all right. Let me see. So that you've been up to that. Uh, I got to brag a little bit. A uh, group of Knowles won the Florida Citrus Sports uh, Golf Tournament at Lake Nona. Uh, me and Danny Cannell and uh, also shout out Rick Campbell uh, for the invite and uh, get, get paired with a celebrity. I'm like, hey, Danny, we get to count this as a work day, right? Because I, I'm usually with Danny on cover three. I uh, got to see Mr. Cannell sink about 250 feet of putts, including three eagles. Uh, so that was... That was helpful on the way to 21 under, and we we, we took it down. Got to see uh, Mike, Mike and Mike, uh, Mike Alford and Mike Ravel uh, there at the tournament. Saw Kenny Shaw supporting a great cause. They are you know, donating back uh, quite a bit to the community uh, around the Citrus Bowl. Uh, it is one of the more that's um, great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What what one of like the the um, you know one of the poorer zip codes in all of Central Florida, uh, and we also made a donation. Uh, on behalf of Nolcast oh, uh, to that event. So um, really appreciate everybody who supports the Nolcast. And uh, we, we do try to and try to give back to charity when possible there. So uh, that was a good time. And all right, the chat wants to talk about some ham bone updates. Um, look, man, I, I love Leonard Hamilton. Uh, I think the guy has done a tremendous job with the basketball program and the the landscape of college basketball has pretty quickly shifted. Um, it's also my dog's name, so they may be asking for for both. Oh, your dog uh, just, is named Hambone. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, okay. 
we we do get real comfortable with the references in chat, and uh, that would be. I was weird. like, "Have a Hambone." That's what we're calling Little Hamilton now. Huh? I was like, "I did not know we're calling him Hambo," but like people, all right. <laughs> I was down in uh, Tallahassee last weekend. Uh, I guess Thursday through Sunday, had a chance to go to the Boston College game, and you know, it was just. Uh, I'm sorry. What I thought it was from afar. Uh, now they they went down. I think at one point, thirty-one to ten in that game, but I fought back, made it close, but. It's just, you know, it's tough. Once it just kind of gets away from you, once it spirals away, uh, it can be tough to to get back in. And uh, just the landscape changes a lot. I think Leonard Hamilton is as uh, really as transformational coach as has existed at Florida State outside of probably Bowden. Uh, and what he did for that program is incredible. I know internally there's some people uh, that are disappointed that when – you know, all the wind was in the sails. They didn't get the court named after him. Uh, that was something that a lot of people, I think, were pushing for uh, and maybe still are. Um, but it's just, you know, it's you, you, COVID got you. That, that was the team that had a legitimate chance to go to the Final Four, if not win the whole damn thing. And, uh, you know, sometimes, particularly when you're an institution like this and basketball is not a, a long suited traditional uh, place of success that you have that you're, you know, your window may only be open so long, but uh, it will be very interesting to see how this is handled and and what it looks like just because it's, uh, it's a tough tough year filled with a lot of low points. We, we don't talk a ton of basketball on this program unless the, uh, unless the team is good or unless it's really bad. It's because people typically, like, your, your diehards are going to care, uh, but the people who are going to make up the, you know, 70 or 80% of your listening audience uh, only are going to care uh, kind of like I care about FSU basketball. I'm I'm going to front run it. I'm I'm going to watch and cheer for them when they're good to very good, and if they're just average, I'm not going to spend my free time watching it. If they are on the way to setting the school record for the number of losses, then I will also tune in just to to watch the train wreck. And you know I I don't have insider information here on on if Leonard Hamilton is going to be back or not. If you had told me preseason that there was really any chance he wouldn't be back, I, I would have laughed. I mean, the guy's done a tremendous job. But if if you have a, a disaster of this magnitude, they have they have eight wins. In Ken Palm, they are 214th in the country. I mean, that is absurdly bad for for an ACC team, right? Especially one that has routinely been top 30, top 20, uh, you know, top 40. Are they dead last in the ACC in Ken Palm? Let me look here. Uh, no, Louisville. Excuse me. Of course. Uh, Louisville has their own interesting thing. I think if you're going to bring Hamilton back, there has to be a pretty clear plan for how he gets this turned around. And I'm not necessarily convinced that it is doable, right? What what, what does next year look like? What, what does two or three years down the road look like? Are you going to get a lot of guys from the transfer portal to come in and help you out here? Are they going to be convinced that Hamilton is going to be there for the long term? I, I don't know, man. This is going to be interesting because I there's a decent chance they lose out, right? Um, you know, I mean, they, they, they have the North Carolina game left at home. We'll see. They have to go to Miami. They have to go play the Hokies. You shouldn't be making your decision based on those games. You should probably already know what you want to do or at least know the questions that you need to ask if you're Mike Alford. And I'm, I'm sure he already has those questions in his mind and may have already asked them. 
his opinion of the answers, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, or or what those answers are. Not a basketball podcast per se, and we certainly don't uh, you know, have inside information or whatever else. Just something to watch and it's it's a significant development and it's uh it's unfortunate. Obviously, nobody at Florida State wants Leonard Hamilton to uh to go anywhere. But if it you know, it's rare that the it's rare that something like this gets unwound as much as it does this year and then uh you know, kind of put back together. But we'll keep an eye out on it and also kind of instructive as to what Florida State's doing as a whole is an athletic department. You've got an athletic director that I think only wants to make, you know, make changes or make moves if they're of significance. So um, we'll just have to watch it and and see what happens there. All right, let's go now to this article that I pulled from ESPN. I'll just read this this uh, part and then we, we can discuss. This is from Pete Thamel talking about the Big 12 and Pac-12's uh, new media rights deals or potential media rights deals. And I read from it. Um, I think Pete does good work over there, formerly of Yahoo. Uh, the Big 12's new deal and subsequent grant of rights has left it in a solid position through 2030-31. Uh, the fact that every major conference television deal expires and can be re-upped before the ACC comes back to the table illuminates the fears around the ACC. The ACC's deal with ESPN runs through 2036, and part of the reason it ran that long is because it allowed the league to form the ACC network. But there are increasing nerves about the more than 30 million annually its competitors will be earning above the ACC. Now, uh, editor's note here, that is not like Big 12 and Pac-12. That's more like SEC Big 10 competitors. About half the league is fine with the financial status quo, and there's the other half, these schools most, most inter- in, invested in football that continues to look for creative ways to find more money, whether within the league or by finding a way out. An equal revenue sharing continues to be discussed, but that can't cover a $30 million delta. Quote, there's a disparate nature to the ACC, an ACC source said. You have publics and privates and big schools and small schools. It's a little bit of the ACC uniqueness. But times like now, it really, really shows itself. In the last year, it has become so apparent. Sources around the league stress that nothing is imminent in terms of a breakaway, but the search for new financial avenues continues. Quote, I don't expect anything in six months, an industry source said, but in six years, it'd be shocking if everything looked the same. The other leagues get an additional bump before the ACC comes up for a new deal. End quote. Just how binding are the grant of rights? School after school has gone after league headquarters to study them, so if there's an easy way out, some smart lawyer would have found it by now. The ACC, like most leagues, doesn't allow copies of television contracts and grant of rights out of the building, yeah. which protects the contracts from, from the FOIA requests. Uh, <clears throat> the essence of an ACC escape is that it would cost more than $100 million to leave, and the schools would still need legal wrangling to get the access to their, their own games, TV money, for more than a decade. That's a significant risk. But there's also plenty of risk for the high-profile schools of falling hundreds of million dollars behind national competitors. Quote, different lawyers have different opinions, the industry source said. Eventually, somebody will take the leap. You'd assume that others would <clears throat> would follow right behind. Uh, as usual in college athletics, the lawyers would be sure to cash in. The only certainty of any type of tempted blah, blah, bill of hours, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you're going to get out of, get out of the grant of rights, uh, you better have a war chest injury source. You're going to need it to pay legal fees. So a um, couple things here. A lot of that sounds familiar. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah, it we- does. We've been talking about that for a little while, how uh, some of these football-focused schools, and I, I don't necessarily agree with the characterization that it, it is half the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the, no, it's more four or five programs. Um, 
It's interesting, man. I mean, the, that part about, well, there's a lot there that's really interesting to me, but I've always loved the idea that you can go look at a contract and uh, not take notes or anything else of it. And there's been various stories of general counsels that have been able to do that and haven't been able to do that over the years. Um, as far as whether they could see the whole document or a summary of it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the grant of rights is, uh, I was just on the phone with somebody yesterday about this. The grant of rights is as one lawyer described, uh, written by a lawyer that sleeps really well at night. It's clean. It's well-written. As this article says, people would have challenged it and beat it if it wasn't. So um, don't think that there's some kind of magical single shot that can be fired that can get you out of this thing or something like that. I think, um, and call me a victim of uh, of my current landscape and, and seeing things through my own eyes, but I, I've said this before and I'll, I'll say it again. I do think that uh, NLI helps facilitate this and speed this up um nil excuse me name image and likeness not uh national letter, national of, letter of an old, old guy from south florida channeled me there for a second got me uh but yeah no i mean name image and likeness you can see it you can see it very quickly as to there's a very quick realization by a lot of these schools as to hey we like this just is a landscape that we can't be competitive in right now uh and now we'll go down and find some level of of bottom feeder that that we can exist on uh but it's a uh, brings a stark reality of the situation i think all the more clear and i've long thought that the best way out of the acc is to maybe have enough schools in the acc realize that this landscape isn't uh that that they can do and that you have maybe some kind of internal uh dissolve and you've got to get to a pretty significant number there it's uh, no easy path or it would otherwise happen but that's kind of what I've become more convinced of over the past 12 months or so when looking at this. I, I, I agree with you on that point. Um, I think that in the interim, uh, you need you need to, if you're a Florida State or Clemson, you need to be telling these other schools, hey, if you want any chance of keeping this thing together beyond the current deal, we're going to need to have unequal revenue sharing because here's what you're going to get if the four or five important schools in this league break away right? Your, your revenue is going to be slashed by like 80 or 90%. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a league that is Boston College, Cuse, Wake, Virginia, you know, the, like those schools is is not a good league for, for TV purposes. You know, you get a little college basketball there, you get no meaningful football on, on the national stage uh, and, and, and no real draws. So, I think that has to be your 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 carrot. Like, hey, we're not saying we're going to stay past this current deal, but if you don't help us out right now, we're definitely not going to stay, mm -hmm. right? So, like, we're going to need unequal revenue sharing. I know Clemson's AD actually brought this up in in, in more more tactful terms than that that with, with his public statements, but I thought that was interesting after the recent ACC meetings. I, I also think that that uh, within Thamel's article here, it's not Thamel contradicting himself, but but it, it is. Uh, it's interesting because he says uh, like a lot of lawyers have looked at it and it's well-written and there's no way out. Right. But also then he says, Hey, like if you're going to challenge this, you better have a lot, a lot of money to pay legal fees and different lawyers, have different opinions. Eventually somebody will take the leap. It's not unbeatable. According to like this second opinion here, it's more the risk reward of challenging it is more palatable in a couple of years. Right now, the financial downside, if you lose this battle, would be untenable. 
in a half decade, less so. I think that's important to, to remember here because if it's just simply unbeatable, then it doesn't necessarily matter how long you wait within reason. I mean, obviously, if you, you know, you could do the Texas thing and, and just wait until two years before it's done. Uh, but I, I don't think it's necessarily unbeatable per these quotes. I think it's more finding the correct equilibrium risk reward wise uh, with not getting left out in the cold. And you also need a dance partner. And I, I'm not entirely convinced that the Big Ten is as expansion hungry as they were. Uh, and anyway, I think we talked about this four shows ago since Kevin Warren left for the NFL. A lot of those presidents up there, according to reporting, do not want to expand further at this point. So I, I don't know that you have a, a dance partner in the Big Ten right this minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, you got to have two. You got to have two to, to get to even get. Well, whatever. Yeah, you got to have somebody taking the Virginias of the world and stuff as well in, uh, in the hypothetical that you just threw out. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, continue to watch it. Clemson's a really interesting place led by a super young athletic director. And uh, they're doing some they're doing some innovative stuff. They uh, they took their licensing in-house, bud, which is a very rare thing to see. Most universities pair with. Learfield or what was formerly Learfield IMG and uh, Clemson's Clemson interesting group up there always trying things and uh, they've they've created success for themselves and haven't been uh, you know haven't necessarily just sat back and and been uh, been complacent about it so tip of the hat to the people up in the upstate no doubt man um all right Let's go ahead and give a shout out to our friends at Legendary Home Loans, Legendary Team, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. Tremendous job. I have got two mortgages through those guys, and I strongly recommend that you all do as well. Chad and Shannon have supported us for a long time. I think we have, what, 400 NOLCAST uh, listeners who have gone through the Legendary experience. And I mean, it's just, look, customer service, best possible rates for you, knowledge of the market and the industry. They'll walk through the process, and they work fast and hard. I mean, you really can't ask for more than that, and you're supporting uh, a really, like, seriously diehard Knowles business as well. Uh, I just, I can't recommend it strongly enough. I think they do a tremendous job. No, they're great dudes. Uh, yes, 400, and it, that number, I think, is really in the 490s. Almost 500 people uh, have used them after listening to the Knollcast, and that's awesome, and I think they'll have a – uh, official partnership with the the battles in that they're uh, will announce in the next week or so as well. So awesome, awesome for you guys, man. That great, is tremendous. Uh, great to continue to work with those guys in as many ways possible. So, uh, yeah, man. Good All right. dude. I want to ask you a question. Who do you think is not in a position battle entering spring? Your linebackers. <laughs> yeah, um, I think so. Jordan. Yes, Jordan. Johnny. Um, I was going to say there's aspects of the wide receiver position that are relatively well-defined. Um, Pittman, I think, is probably unchallenged, right? Pittman is. Uh, you're not going to say this, but you didn't go get Fintrell Cypress not to play him. You know, I mean, that's, a, yeah. one, that's one of the top two or three players in the portal. So, uh He's got to come in and work all the stuff, but at the same time, you you got that guy to get that guy. Um, I I think Robert Scott 
Jared Verse. Probably. Yeah. Byers is, I'm not sure where, but I would be shocked, somewhere between surprised and shocked if Byers mm -hmm. is, is not a guaranteed starter at one of your spots. Love it. Is is a starter for you? I think, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he like, is. I'd be pretty shocked if, if it was Fisk and Jackson over him. Um, Dent, yeah, Dent, and Benson, and absent other portal activity. I mean, I think you can say Shaheen Brown's your starter right now, but we'll we'll see if there's there's more movement in safety. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I know uh, Brennan Sinone uh, said that they're going to try out uh, uh, Duke Cooper as well at safety this spring. So, you know, that, that's that's interesting. I, okay. I think they have to be smart there about, like, who they approach position changes with and, and win, right, to prevent transfers, you know, and we'll see, like, like who, um, you know, who keeps the roster together the, the best and, and who doesn't upset the apple cart, right? Like, there are certain guys I think could be the best option to move to that safety spot, but they may view themselves more as a corner. And we'll just watch how that progresses throughout the spring. And sometimes position changes work out, actually. Like even if they're trying like the opposite effect where they're trying to essentially uh, not break a guy, but just see how much they can test him. Yeah. And uh, that has happened before. But I asked this question, dude, because I, I think it's notable who we didn't mention. Right? I mean, Meach, Washington, Maurice Smith. Um, you know, I think the tight ends are in a position battle, depending on, on what formations that you're in. Your your X receiver position, right? Like, that's going to be fascinating, too. I, I think I like Darian Williamson quite a bit, but we'll see who else can emerge on the outside. McClendon was not mentioned, right? And, and, you know, like, I don't think there's any guarantee. Pat Payton, not well, guarantee. Yeah, I mean, he and, he and Payton, that's going to be great. going to be a lot of fun to watch. And all and, uh, and always the South Carolina kid. Yeah, right. and Gilbert Edmonds going to be right behind him. Uh, it'll be a lot of depth there. A lot of. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating, man. It's great. I mean, it's when your point's exactly it. The, the names that you can have here and not have them be automatic starters is where this really starts to get fun. And it makes you realize the amount of progress that's been made over the last 18 months or so of turning this roster and then holding on to enough of it uh, after this year to to live the big dream of, of what 23 could look like. So uh, I, I wanted to bring up a, a baseball analogy for you. And baseball season kicking off. I got my Rays hat on, really excited to go. My, my son's talking about Wander Franco. He wants to watch Wander Franco highlights on YouTube. And yeah, you know, I'm excited about some of the stuff coming up with the baseball season with, with the new pitch clock. And hopefully that'll keep stuff moving uh, pretty well. There's a a fascinating article, by the way, by Grant Brisby, uh, who went and he watched exact games in terms of runs, hits, errors, walks, and same final score from uh, 2020 compared to, or not maybe 2019 because it was not a COVID year, compared to one in like 1989. So 20-year difference here, or 30-year difference, excuse me. and uh, And one was like an hour longer. And he's like, where is the major difference coming from? And he charted it. And actually, the vast majority of wasted time or expanded time was time between pitches. So 
it was not more commercial breaks. It was not more pitching changes because he, he also counted for that. Like same number mm-hmm. of pitchers used everything. Like and it, it's you, you can kind of do that. It was really interesting. Um, but I'm I'm curious here, you know what what that would look like. But the reason I bring up baseball here, this is a long transition, and I apologize, is that I was reading an article and I can't remember who wrote this, but it it talked about you know you have your your teams that that have a lot of upside guys, and then you also the teams that had the fewest number of innings played by guys with negative war. So negative wins above replacement. And it turns out that some of the teams that rated really highly in the standings were teams, not that had superstars, but that minimized their innings played by guys with negative war. And like the Brewers had very few superstars last year, but they also, I think had the fewest number of innings played by guys who have negative war. And, and I I look at this, and I, I can, then you can analogize this roster a little bit to what the Brewers are doing, right? I don't see a lot, a lot of top 100 picks, or certainly not a lot of first-rounders on this roster right now. But I also don't see a lot of positions on this roster, especially not starters, that I feel like are going to be uh, like the default starter and also not a good player. Right, every position battle that's unsettled. I, I I think you have relatively high floor, and I think that's a credit to what Battles In has done. Right, of of making Florida State a place that you know you can have some quality NIL opportunities uh, to market yourself, and that makes you know obviously attractive uh, place to be. I, I mean, don't you feel really good about the floor of all these positions, if not the ceiling? Absolutely. I mean, and I think you're you nailed it there. I mean, the guys that you're going to have playing next year. Uh, to use a, a soccer analogy, or guys that are going to give you a bunch of seven and a half, eights, eight and a halfs. You know, I don't know that you're going to have a whole lot of tens. You certainly got guys who have that ability. If you, the more you talk to people around the program, the more they'll tell you that like Trey Benson may just be like scratching the surface of what ultimately he can be. Like, so okay, okay, so so maybe maybe you have the best running back in the country or something like that. Maybe Jordan continues on his. Um, his path. So you've got a couple guys out there that can give you nines, nine and a halfs and tens, but I think you're just going to get, you know, seven and a halfs and eights from, from damn near everybody uh, as to what it looks like. So uh, yeah, the battles in, <clears throat> we have a uh, public availability today. You can go to the battles Look at our website. We have five different membership levels there and all sorts of other opportunities. The um, there's, there aren't a whole lot of limitations <laughs> in this space, man. You can do, uh, almost anything is uh, is possible, and uh, we're real excited about what we've been able to accomplish in the first 80 days and very proud of the role that we've been able to to have in the retention of the roster that we're talking about here now. And, again, if it's something that uh, that you, the NOLCast listener, want to be involved in, uh, please feel free to, to do so in whatever way you may feel is appropriate or to reach out to me if I can give you more information about the battles in. No doubt about it. Uh- Chad uh, asks, thoughts on potential college ball game clock changes. For example, the clock running after first down. The college ball game is already shorter uh, with pure game time. I have a fairly in-depth breakdown that I'm going to do today on Cover 3 at 11 a.m. And I do have other stuff we want to get to in the rundown today that's more FSU-related. Very quick synopsis. I think the first three things that they suggested – 
will pass. So no more icing kickers in terms of like like you can't call a timeout out of a timeout anymore. Can't also double ice. To, yeah. Right. I used to call that the Jeff Bowden when you use the TV timeout after <laughs> or you use the timeout after a TV timeout. That was not really great. Um no more untimed downs to end the uh the first or third quarters. You just roll it into the next quarter. That is not a real important one. Uh the clock running after a first down is uh one that I think they will probably get to pass, except within the last two minutes. And I think that they threw out the idea of the clock running after incomplete passes, most likely as sort of a threat to make sure they got they got the other three passed. Like they want to throw something out there that can get the coaches pissed off so they don't get pissed off about, about the first three. Got it. That's yeah. my guess on this. I also have some really good comments that we pulled from about 16 months ago where we had an expert on talking about how bad the concussion data was that the NCAA got back from the 80s and 90s and how the main reason that they're trying to reduce the time in games is because they are, are basically scared shitless of the liability stuff that might be coming down the pipe. Okay. Uh, that's my 90-second preview for today's Cover 3, but we have a, a pretty in-depth uh, discussion coming from it and the impacts it will have. Hmm. Uh, I think there's a parlay effect, too, to where like you, if you pass all four of these, you're going to cut games from like 70 plays to like 45. And that's probably not yeah. what you it, want. Exactly. The old overcorrection. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Okay. Well, fascinating, man. I mean, I, I feel like something will be done, but um, <clears throat> you don't, you don't necessarily want to go totally blurring the lines of college and pro football uh, either with, with rule changes and everything else. So interesting to watch. Um, all right, so let's talk a little recruiting, dude. A uh, couple notes I have here. Uh, you're going to be in some battles for offensive tackles and battles nationally, right? Uh, because the offensive tackle crop this year, I don't think is as good as it was last year. Last year at 24-7 Sports, we had multiple offensive tackles rated five stars. This year, it's not so, at, at least not yet. Uh, and some of these guys do emerge later on right now we have uh no offensive tackles rated five stars we have one uh, rated 94 out there in california is our number 20 player overall in the country the offensive tackle crop within the state of florida is particularly poor uh this year and that is unfortunate for fsu right because you have alex atkins you're coming off a 10 win season you are projected to win 10 plus games this year but if you look at the offers, uh, Atkins has clearly identified the need to go and fight some big-time battles nationally this year. And I think that's just really important um, for them to have to go and do. And that's not the case for other positions. There are, there are other spots on the recruiting board where you are heavily Florida-based or South Georgia-based, which I am happy to see. I do not think FSU needs to be recruiting Mississippi and Alabama as much because – and I know if you're at Memphis, you had to – but at Memphis, you didn't have to fight battles against the, like Auburn and Alabama for kids. You had to fight battles against the teams that like don't have to fight against them, right? I think can – can we go on a tangent about adverse selection, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Please. Okay. Like, if you land a kid that you really want out of Alabama or Mississippi – it, is it actually a bad sign? Because 
the vast majority of the time, if you get that kid or if you have a kid that you really want and your your evaluation is good, Auburn and Alabama are probably going to want that kid too. And they have ways of, of getting those kids to stay inside the state lines. Now, if you land them, it might mean that maybe they know something you didn't, right? Now, look, this is not always the case. There are rare circumstances in which you land a stud from Alabama or Mississippi. So you did land Jameis. There's a lot that went into that, right? Auburn already had a, a big-time target uh, that they were on. Alabama, uh, I think Damian Craig had a unique way of recruiting against Alabama there that really helped you out, and I'm not really sure that's repeatable uh, circumstantially. And also you had the baseball issue, like would Alabama allow Jameis to play baseball? Florida State clearly was going to allow Jameis to play baseball, right? Uh, it wasn't sure if like Nick Saban was going to let a quarterback play baseball at, at that time. Um, and he really didn't see the need to, I guess. With Cam Akers, you had uh, – it's interesting stuff going on with Ole Miss at the time, some uncertainty. You had Alabama who already had their priority target in Najee Harris out of Oakland, California. Auburn was a bit of a mess at the time, I think, right? Like they, they had lost some more games than, than normal. LSU was on the tail end of less miles, correct? And so they were kind of screwing around. It was just a unique circumstance for the most part I think that you have an adverse selection issue when you recruit Alabama Mississippi and I I'm not saying you have to totally avoid it but like I want to hear the justification for why you think this kid is actually as good as you think he is and why you think you're going to beat out Bama and Auburn for him personally it's not the same case for Florida and South Georgia mm -hmm. you yeah. know um. Yeah, that's 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 my TED talk. You want to watch some film? Let's do absolutely. What do All you right, have? So, so I got two kids here <clears throat> that I think are are kind of interesting. Um, and they are unrated kids at this point. Let me see. Let's go ahead and pull this up. While you're pulling it up, I will thank our friends at uh, Madison Social and Downchip, and of course Charlie Park went to a concert on Friday. Night, bud, and look up. Who do I see? One Matt Thompson standing uh, in the same suite, and great to uh, connect with Matt, talk with him, catch up. Hadn't talked with him in uh, too long, and just incredible uh, the options that they continue to provide. Walked by Township later that night. There was like a twenty-five minute line out the door. Uh, those guys are doing all right, and it's uh, great to see a longtime partner that's continued to support the show, uh, continue to do big things in Tallahassee. So. Uh, while this year's focus is on Charlie Park, we think all of the for the uh, table properties. And uh, as always, big thanks to Matt Thompson for support of the Nolcast. No doubt about it. Um, you know, what, one thing I like about FSU staff is that they are, are not afraid to go out and you know, offer kids who don't have big time offers yet. Right. And I, I, I've expressed my uh, my thoughts on some other schools that do this, too. And. Uh, this is a kid, and, and look, tight end position, we know that Florida State is recruiting Landon Thomas. He's committed to Georgia. He's has visited multiple times. You know, he, he's out of Colquitt. I don't really think he's going to decommit from Georgia, but 
if he does, I know the Knowles would be extremely excited to have him. Obviously, the kid's a, a absolute stud of a tight end prospect. But this this kid is also interesting to me. And I, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll, I'll talk you through some of the highlights here. But pretty interesting guy. His name is Amir Jackson. He's out of Portal, Georgia. Where where is Portal, Georgia? Hands up, man. I know I'm not even gonna fake it. Whoa, I have you no gotta... idea. All right, it is in like East Central uh Georgia. The town has, I believe, 638 people. It makes me feel better. It's rare that I just get uh no Bullock County. Okay. Yeah. Still, yeah, no, I wasn't even gonna fake that. I have never heard of Portal, Georgia. 638. Okay. Yeah, 638 people is not a lot of people. So, YouTube listed as a human settlement in Bullock County, or uh, Wikipedia, rather, listed as a human settlement. A human settlement. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Anyways. Interesting sorry. term there. Yes. So this guy has an interesting athletic background, right? Um, he uh, he plays multiple sports. I'm basketball guy, averaging a double-double for freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Tiny town, like, I, I like he's playing free safety at allegedly six five and two hundred fourteen pounds, which is a Pat, measurement Pat Watkins esque. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of intrigued here. Like, let, let's watch some of this. So, you know, he's huddled, he's circling himself quite a bit. So they're, they're throwing, throwing a little screen pass. Okay, like this is a pretty big kid, and he you know he, he takes it the distance. I have no idea what the competition level is actually like for for Portal, Georgia. Uh, both these kids we're going to watch this morning, by the way, are kids who um, uh, are in very small divisions. So, look, I mean, he's playing defense. He, he he chases this kid down, hawks him down. Um, you know, they actually do a pretty good job of, of, of cutting these. Now here he is on offense. They run this like little wing T full house backfield thing. One of the things I'm kind of impressed with is that. He only had, I think, 25 catches on the year. But a lot of these catches are literally one-on-two situations. Here's another screen. Makes a guy miss at that size. It's pretty impressive. And then takes it the distance. Cool. Here we go again. You can see him lined up uh, at the top of the screen. Again, one-on-two. Comes down with it, right? So he's actually, like, skying over double teams pretty reliably here. Uh, I I mean, I'm not sure this is a kid that like a lot of schools would take a commitment from, and I'd want to see some verified uh, speeds and, and and testing times from him. But I, I think the multi-sport aspect of his profile is intriguing, right? And you know, like, I want to see better change of direction, or not better, just I want to see more evidence of change of direction from him because I think that's an important skill set for a tight end. Like straight line speed is nice. And he does show pretty damn good closing speed in the open field. Um, also, this is a kid, not going to lie, I just, I think Coastal does a tremendous job of offering guys and mm -hmm. identifying them, and they were the first. So uh, okay. they really do, a, a, like, look, if he just pancake blocks that kid in the open field, plays pretty hard. I don't know if he does track and field stuff. Uh, so, again, no verified testing times here he is on defense i think this is the one where he just crushes this kid it's a 10 minute highlight we're not going to spend all 10 minutes watching but um okay that's it's a decent little cut down there 
again out on the outside. They're, they're playing some games at Georgia Southern's field, which, which is which is curious. I'm not sure who the opponent is here. They're you know, just outside of Statesboro. Portal's okay. about 15 minutes outside of Statesboro. So, so he, he pancakes that kid there, too. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a knockdown. Here, they're handing it to him a little tight end in around. This is pretty impressive, actually. So he makes multiple kids miss on a tight end in around and then goes uh, 60 yards, outruns the angle for the score. Um, I, I mean, it looks like it's kind of smaller competition ball, man, but he is dominating it in the way that you want to see smaller competition ball uh, dominated. And here he makes a guy miss. This is pretty impressive, too. Like, he runs all the way around. Um, I mean, he does look like the biggest, strongest, fastest player on the field, which, you know, it's hard. You really you can't play free safety at this size in a bigger classification. But I think the fact that they just have him play in center field and hawk it down and all this stuff right. is yeah, is pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, Amir Jackson out of Portal, Georgia, is I think a kid to watch and and you know potentially uh, an intriguing dude. Maybe somebody they'd want to get into camp over the summer. Um, and we'll we'll see uh, we'll see what else he has going on. I don't know if people are enjoying this segment or not. I just <laughs> I like looking at some of these unrated kids that uh, that FSU offers. It's cool. That's cool to cool to get your opinion lifetime. All right, here's the other kid I wanted to show. This is uh, Artavis Jones uh, from Bluntstown. Let me share my screen again. Okay, Artavis Jones. All right, you can see that. Yep. All right. Really, pretty intriguing kid. Now Bluntstown, obviously small classification, but he, uh, I think he was a state finalist or state champion in the discus for 1A uh, as a sophomore. He is number, what number is he? I think he's 42. So not here, but here uh, on this. Yeah. Okay. So he get, gets a, a strip sack fumble there. Six foot two, like 280. He does have some decent track and field stuff in addition to the discus thing. Um, they use him both ways. He'll, he'll play some offense. He'll play, you know, some defense. You see him pulling there. Uh, as, as sort of like an H-back spot. This one is you know, pretty good explosion. Getting to the quarterback, being a disruptor. You want that ni nice downfield blocking here in the open field. Keeps moving the legs. Drives this guy all the way to the sideline. And then it, they, they cut the tape off there. Here we go. They actually throw him a slip screen, which is fun. And he, he takes it. Uh, does he score? Oh, he does score. Okay. Uh, pretty nice. Now they're using him as more of that tight end position here. And they throw it to him and look, be an athlete, catch ball. That's nice. Again, back here at nose guard. Half man, recognizes screen, takes a step back, picks it off. Pretty impressive there, like that. On the film, he doesn't look 6'2 to me, but I, I do think he is just from you know, stuff we've heard. And I, I think this is a another probably pretty good offer. He, he's been picking up a, a number of them recently and, and a guy that you'd want to get in the camp and have work more with Odell. But, uh, you know, Bluntstown, fairly loaded. And, I mean, he's, again, it's smaller competition. Nice pancake block there on the pull. I don't know if the chat is enjoying this. You know, stance is, is okay here. Nice job to re reset the line of scrimmage, redirect, keep the hand free, make the tackle. Uh, actually, I was talking, so I didn't get to see what this one was. Oh, uh, yeah, this is this is the, the fumble six that he takes back to the house 
as well. I I think this is a solid offer by the Knowles. I, I'm impressed with with the job that they're doing scouting wise. You know, Mike Norvell is clearly invested in that, and and I mean not just Norvell but the program. So we don't need to watch a nine minute highlight tape. Most kids put their best stuff first. Balance, body control, some explosion. I, again, uh, I I think I like him just as much as the two uh, current commitments the Knowles have at defensive tackle, uh, mm. to be honest. So uh, we'll, we'll see how this board uh, continues to evolve. Um, Ricardo Castro asks, Bud, do you believe Jeremiah Smith sticks with Ohio State of Heartline? That's Brian Hartline, Ohio State receivers coach Bolts. And if not, can FSU get in, in on that recruitment? Look, potentially, I don't know. Uh, that's that's a it's not that we don't take hypotheticals. I just don't know if he would if he would bolt or, or stay. I do think that kid is potentially the best receiver prospect I've ever seen. Um I mean it what he did to the Clemson corner commit just back-to-back-to-back-to-back plays four in a row in seven on was kind of disgusting. And it showed the the full complement, the, you know, stop-start ability, agility, downfield speed against a kid who's a legitimate track player, uh, hands, very impressive body control. It, it was, uh, it was, it was like watching Julio Jones out there. So, and, and he, he told me he doesn't like being compared to Julio Jones because he wants to be his own man. But guess what? Comparisons to NFL Hall of Famers are not a bad thing. Um, he's at Chaminade. FSU made some good inroads at Chaminade last year. Anything's possible, I guess. He's visiting. So that's that's encouraging, right? Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's certainly one that you have to – if Hartline stays at Ohio State, I would expect the kid probably goes to Ohio State. You can't not like you can't stop recruiting the kid like who's that damn good in your own state. Things happen in college football. Hartline was a candidate for some jobs this year. It's it's certainly possible that he gets an, a you know a head coaching job somewhere. Um, got a question from here, not from the chat. This is from our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/Nolcast. Why does Bill Conley have FSU's defense rated higher? than the offense good question if you uh asked or excuse me if you watched our cover three show on that we had with bill Connolly recently he explained that uh in terms of projections defensive continuity has a higher uh correlation to continued success than offense does fsu has more coming back on defense than it does on offense this year uh, overall because you do lose, you know, some guys in the offensive line. You lose Pokey Wilson. You lose uh, Treshawn Ward, and th- th- those things all show up in the returning, pro- you know, returning production numbers. Uh, FSU returns almost everybody of consequence on defense. I mean, Jamie Robinson is basically the only serious impact guy that you are losing. So, because coaching seems to matter somewhat more on offense at the college level than defense does the returning production you have is weighted a little more heavily on defense 
SP Plus also is not going to make individual player adjustments in terms of who played what in what game. So obviously you have that five-game stretch where the offenses that FSU's defense kind of got fat on uh, were just decimated in terms of like quarterbacks being out or in total disarray, and FSU snuffed them out like you would expect them to do. Uh, that's why it has FSU's defense rated higher than FSU's offense. I don't agree that FSU's defense is better than its offense, but uh, we'll have to see. If that is the case, then FSU is is going to be extremely good because I think you can count on this offense to be really damn good. I think so. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, the offense, no reason the offense – is going to be just as good when you look at all the skill returning and then with the confidence that you have in both what you brought in the transfer portal and who you have coaching them. So uh, whatever, whatever it is, the defense looks like it will, will probably be as good of a turnometer as to what happens next year. Um, let's take our friends at congruity. We actually have a new partner to announce. Let's do that. Uh, let's leave yeah. the next show with that. Uh, just so that they can not be buried on a eight o'clock in the morning, uh, announcement 45 minutes into a pod but yeah uh always great with the work that uh that matt lewis does and for us to be able to continue to work with him and find new partners uh if there's ever anybody in the space of payroll or hr or um, employee benefits there's one person to talk to at least in bud and i's opinion that is matt lewis feel free to reach out to me if you'd like a personal introduction to matt or to just go to congruityhr.com to find out more about what they offer. Yes, sir. All right. Um, question for you. And this is one that we got, I think on, we got DM'd us on Patreon. How high can Jordan Travis rise up the ranks of like FSU's quarterback mm. pantheon hierarchy, I guess? I, I thought you were asking draftability. Let's have that conversation as well, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. How high? Okay. Very high, in my opinion, uh, because of the story attached to it, um, all that he went through, and uh, he's an in-state kid. I, I think Jordan has a chance to be remembered. Uh, I mean, he's not going to be Jameis, he's not going to be uh, Winky or Ward, but I, I think... He has a chance to pass people like Casey Weldon, you know. I mean, like I, I think he has a chance to be exceptionally popular and very, very well remembered because we're so fresh of the darkest times in this program's history, really, as far as a you know modern day results uh, and consistently over a course of years. So, uh, yeah, I think Jordan has a unique, unique chance to be remembered. I mean, if you look at this, right? So, obviously, it's going to depend on what he does. If he gets him to the playoff, you know, something like that. If if he, you know, made it to New York, obviously they have the Heisman campaign uh, for him going on right now. You know, Jordan right now is 13th in career passing yards. Um, he has 5,888. The all-time leader is what Winky with 98.39, I think. So like that's fairly impressive. Um, sorry, let me sort here. Yeah. And then Rick's, you know, Winston's third, EJ's fourth, Drew Weatherford's fifth, Christian Ponder, sixth, Gary Huff, seventh, Danny Cannell, eighth, 
Uh, Francois is actually ninth. Busby is 10th. Obviously, like how many years you play impacts this quite a bit. We would not have, you know, Ricks, EJ, and, and Weatherford among the top three quarterbacks uh, in FSU history. Look, man, I, I do think that like somewhere between like fourth and sixth are open if things are like happen that are like reasonably in play. And, and you know, if you want a national title or something like something crazy like that, uh, then I think you, you're going to put them there with some of the guys that won a title and won the Heisman, right? I guess. I, yeah. I, I mean, you're right with all the stuff the guy went through and how he stayed. And yeah, I think he'll, he'll be right there. And he just, when he, you know, Winky's moments of brilliance is like standing in a pocket, flicking his wrist and sending a ball 65 yards downfield, yeah. which I am not minimizing at all. You know, that's awesome. Trust me. I, that, that's, uh, that ain't bad, <laughs> but Jordan's moments of brilliance are like, well, he made six people miss and turned a 12 yard run into a 71 yard touchdown or something. It's just when it, when it oh hit, God. yeah, yeah, the, the 40. And when, when Jordan does something, uh, it, it has a, has a pattern of like literally making you stop in your, in your tracks and saying, my Lord, I just saw a three second streak of brilliance. Uh, so, yeah. No, I mean, Jordan. Jordan can be a, uh, a a massive name in the history of Florida State football. Absolutely. Draft stock wise is very interesting, right? A um, couple things here. Yeah, he did dribble a football and score a touchdown. That is correct, Kevin, in the chat. A <laughs> couple things. So I was listening to the Move the Sticks podcast with uh, Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah, two guys who have been NFL scouts and now work for NFL Network. And they were talking about the quality of quarterback class for 24 and saying like, look, man, you got two dudes who it's kind of like they didn't say worth tanking for, but they talked about like the bears. Do you take quarterback this year or do you take a defensive lineman knowing that if you're bad again, you can get Caleb or Drake may. And they are very sold on those guys being like stud studs. And I, Mm -hmm. I would agree. Like, I think those guys are, are, are top of the draft dudes. Michael Penix probably as well uh, is going to be ahead of Jordan just because his throwing ability is better uh, on, on draft boards right now. I don't, I don't think if you watch the two that they're actually all that close in terms of ability to throw the football. After that, though, I mean, I think you have some real interesting ones uh, that you know, Jordan could rise above, right? Like the, the top of the draft class next year at the quarterback position is probably better, but I'm not sure the depth is better, right? I mean, you think about like big time arms, McCarthy would have to take a good leap. Alar is not eligible at Penn State. Rattler will be a guy that I think will, will be ahead of Jordan on draft boards because of arm talent. People will want to take the chance, but Jordan could pass him up. For yeah, sure. I'd be surprised on that one, just me personally. Um, I, I mean, just I think the throws he makes, people are going to be very like. I, I think he's. It's interesting. Now, here's the thing, though. I think you could could see Jordan go high. Like, if Jordan has a really good year, the argument for for taking him in the first round, which I don't think he will go in the first round, but he could, is that the teams that win the Super Bowl for the for the majority of the time are teams that have a good player who is still on his rookie deal. 
because they're able to sign really good players around him. This is the Jalen Hurts thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jalen Hurts at forty five million is a terrible deal for the most part, unless you think he's going to continue to like like to progress a ton and become Mahomes. Jalen Hurts at his rookie deal is a really good number, and if you take a kid in the first round, it's still cheap, and you get the fifth year option on the guy, which means you can extend that cheap that cheap range on him for one extra year, which they didn't do with Jalen. They actually took him in the second round. So uh, they don't get that fifth-year option for cheap. This is why, you know, the Bengals' window is one year longer with Burrow, although he's going to get that, you know, new mega deal probably sooner just because of how damn good he is. Uh, or you see teams win, win the Super Bowl if they have paid the insane money, the 45-plus million bucks, and the guy's actually like Hall of Fame talent. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. What you don't see is like Kirk Cousins or dudes like that who are making 40-plus but aren't Hall of Fame good? Derek Carr, guys like that. Win. Future Dak Prescott uh, contract, yeah. what he gets. Yeah. yeah. And with Jordan, with the value of his legs, I could see a team, if he has an insane season, if he makes another big jump, man, I could see an NFL team thinking, shoot, back half of the first round, this guy is a dangerous weapon. Do we like him long term? I don't know. Do we like yep. his ability to run around a lot? You know, and 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 maybe QB. Uh, look, it's a stretch. I understand. He would need to improve as a passer a lot to go in the first round. But it's it's not entirely crazy given how the contracts work and, and how some teams use it. Like look 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 what Philly did with Hertz. Yeah, they're, they're, teams are going to have concerns about his frame. I mean, Jordan. Yeah, walks up to you. Uh, very great guy, nice guy. Does not look like somebody that could. You'd want a defensive end hitting, you know, twelve times yeah. a game or whatever. Jalen Hurts squats where the six hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. Hurts is a different. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, different animal. But <clears throat> if uh, I mean, like, if Jordan continues to improve in the passing game, continues to have some of the moments that he does, I personally think Jordan's draft stock is uh, high point is maybe middle of the second round, uh, and that's I just don't know that a a team would put a full. First round on him, but you certainly bring up a great point as to that. You know, if you're kind of there and on the on the fence, uh, if you've gotten there, then maybe you say maybe we take a last final four pick in the first round or something like that, just so that you get that fifth year option if he does hit in the manner that that we seem to think he might. So. T- teams tend to do that with quarterbacks now with with the new CBA. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling here. Uh, Shador Sanders. Get- Get out of here. Okay, I'm I'm exiting off that draft site. This is a good reminder that like early mock drafts are 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 hot garbage, dude. Always. So, all right, QB wise, it's on draft countdown. All right, well they have Quinn Ewers over Drake May, so I feel like that's not a good representation. Jackson Dart, who Ole Miss feels so good about, they brought in two transfer quarterbacks to compete against him. Uh, okay, that's that one's hot trash too. I'm not opening Walter football because I know it's going to just like eat all my, my browser uh, stuff. It's, it's, this one's from September. It's probably not great. I don't know. What, what's are, are any of these 2024 mock drafts any good? Like these, these suck. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. I, okay. This one actually seems reasonably on, on point for the top three. Williams, May, Penix. After this, it is a complete, complete crapshoot. So, in order, Knicks, Sanders, Jefferson from Arkansas, 
absolutely will not go over Jordan Travis. I can guarantee you. Neither will Shador Sanders. Uh, Bo Nix, I could see going over Jordan. I mean, it just depends. Quinn Ewers certainly could. I mean, if he plays to his level, he's got freakish talent. His completion percentage this year was terrible. Cam Ward, Washington State, don't think so. Grace McCall will not. Van Dyke at Miami, doubtful. Doubtful. He showed Very. some real NFL throws as a sophomore, so I can't say zero chance, but doubtful. Uh, Jordan is not even on this list, which makes me doubt. Okay, so it's, it started off good, and then uh, not having Jordan on there is <laughs> ridiculous. But the top, the top three to me made some sense. All right, y'all. That takes us to um hour perfectly. Uh very much enjoyed it. We will be back uh within the next week or so to continue to bring you guys coverage. Bud, hope you have a great day, my man. Again, you too, man. We'll get one final pimp uh of the website in uh battlesend.com. Again, all various levels of pricing and involvement available, but uh we do go live with the website today. And any support that you could give would be greatly appreciated. Happy opening day, buddy. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Enjoyed it. See you, man.